Do you ever feel down, gloomy, overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like life just isn't fair and you deserve something more, something better, something that somebody else has? Do you ever get frustrated with your life and wish you had a different one? Do you ever feel like you're constantly struggling and never able to accomplish much, never able to reach that goal that you've been aiming for? Brethren, if you've ever had any of these thoughts or feelings, what can you do to make your life more positive, more enjoyable, more filled with godly peace? Today what we're going to do, brethren, is to discuss a powerful tool that God has given us to improve our mental outlook, our quality of life, and our life satisfaction. It's a tool that we may not feel like using when we're down, when we're frustrated, but it's one that can make all the difference in the world to our life and the way that we live. Today, brethren, we're going to discuss the power of gratitude. And if you're looking for a sermon title, that's it. The power of gratitude. You know, it's interesting, Mr. Dumas mentioned that the holy days are are right around the corner. Passover is just over two and a half weeks away. It'll be here before we know it. We are deep within the season of preparation. Hopefully you've taken the time, and if not, I encourage you to start now to begin preparing for the Passover, to examine yourself. And if you're not baptized yet, don't just let that be something those baptized members do. You can also take an opportunity now to begin examining yourself, to look at yourself through the lens of God's holy word, his scripture, to look at yourself and see, number one, where you've grown over the past year. And I would guess that we've all grown in certain ways over the past year. But to also look at yourself and ask some of the questions of where do I still need to grow? How do I still need to overcome? I encourage you to listen to the sermon today with part of an ear thinking about self-examination. Thinking about gratitude in terms of how well do I display gratitude? How well do I exercise gratitude to the one great God who deserves all my gratitude? Is he pleased with the way I show him gratitude? In what ways can I develop a more thankful outlook and become even more grateful to the God who gave it all to me and gave it all for me? Turn with me, brethren, to start to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, here Paul is writing late in his ministry. to the minister Timothy, giving him wisdom, giving him understanding, giving him encouragement on how to lead the church. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read actually a prophecy that the Apostle Paul gave. Insights into what it would be like at the end of the age. It's actually a prophecy for us. We can look around and as we read through these Characteristics, I think you'll agree, yeah, we're, we're getting pretty close to the fullness of this prophecy. 
2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, at the end of the age, prior to the return of Christ, you're going to see these things happening. In the last days, perilous times or times of stress will come. For men will be what? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, and he goes on. We see many of those characteristics today, don't we? One of those characteristics is being unthankful. It's one of the characteristics of the end of the age. And isn't society becoming more that way today? How many people, when we look around society today, are really thankful for what they have, thankful for their blessings, thankful for the abundance they have? Or are more people focused on what they're owed by society or owed by other people? We really do see a lot of thanklessness today, don't we? Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 12. We'll read here. Interesting observation here as it relates to being thankful and and it relates to the perspective that God wants us to have. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. This, by the way, to me, there's a lot of interesting proofs of God's existence and validity of the Bible buried here in the scripture. And this is one of them. God, over 2,000, over 2,500 years ago, inspired Solomon to write that anxiety in the heart of the man causes depression. You know, in the last few decades of medical research, we've proven that. That ongoing anxiety, ongoing worry will lead to depression. We can show that from science. Your God revealed it way before scientists were ever looking at mental health issues. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad, makes the heart glad. The, the, the idea, the impact of being positive, grateful if you will, of encouraging other people, actually can intervene and break the cycle of anxiety and help prevent depression from setting in. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians. Let's go to one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. This is one of his prison epistles. So he's writing these words of encouragement to the church while he's in chains, while he's suffering. Yet as we read through Philippians and Ephesians, these prison epistles, we get the idea and we get the understanding Paul must have been practicing some of what he preached. Because he was in a situation where he could have been really down, really disappointed. Yet he was positive and positive enough to help the church be positive as well. Philippians 4 verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing or worry about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't worry, don't be anxious about things is his advice, God's advice through Paul. But instead, pray, and pray in a thankful way. And what's the result? 
verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Thankful prayer, thankfulness we see, is tied here to God's peace filling us. Interesting. We'll we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's take a quick aside here while we're in the epistles of Paul. Let's go to Ephesians and be reminded of something as well. Ephesians 6, if you turn there with me. We have to keep in mind as we think about gratitude and also what gratitude can fight against that we do have an adversary, don't we? He's known as the prince of the power of the air. He's known as the father of lies, as among other things. But as the prince of the power of the air, he's got some amazing um, access to us through the airwaves. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12 remind us that our struggles in this life are not against people, not against flesh and blood, but ultimately we struggle against whom? Wicked spirits in heavenly places. We struggle against Satan the devil and his demons, ultimately. And so what does Paul say to do in verse 13? He says, take up the armor of God. Put on this armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And then he begins to go through the different types of armor, the different uh, accoutrements here. Let's go down to verse 16. In verse 16, we read that, Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Fiery darts of the wicked one. What are Satan's fiery darts? What does he bombard us with? What are the tools that this prince of the power of the air accesses and tries to hit us with? We've got things like thoughts, different feelings that he uses, different emotions that he uses, things like doubt and fear and despair, frustration, anxiety, feeling of situations being unfair, discontent, being unhappy, being unthankful. These are all fiery darts that Satan can use to send thoughts, feelings, emotions. You know, it's not that hard to consider that Satan can send an emotion, is it? Or to send a feeling? We all have these, or most of us have these. And it's interesting uh, I don't have access to text you all. I thought about asking Mr. DeSimone for that before the sermon and, and texting you just a little emoji. Um, for those of you who don't know what emojis are, they're, they're basically a, a little icon, a little image that gets across an idea. And I could send you one, and I could, just with a picture, bring about, elicit from you an attitude couldn't I? Or a feeling. If I sent you a face of somebody with tears pouring down their face, how would that make you feel? What would that make you think? Or if I sent you something of somebody jumping up and down and saying hooray, it would make you feel a certain way, wouldn't it? And I, as a human being, a simple human being, Scott Winnale, can use the air, the power of the airwaves, to send you an attitude, to send you a feeling. How much more capable is 
Satan the devil. Someone who's been practiced at this and working with humanity on this for for 6,000 years, roughly. He uses these attitudes, these approaches, these feelings to try and get to us, to try and bring us down. But God, in his love for us, has given us tools to use as a shield, the shield of faith, to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And gratitude is one of those. Being thankful is one of those. Let's go to Psalm 100. And read here what David had to say. Look at the example that David had. Keeping in mind that the Bible is God's inspired word. So David wrote this, but God put the thought in David's head on what to write. These are God's thoughts that are being transmitted to us through these psalms and through, through everything that we read here in the scripture. Psalm 100. Let's start reading. Actually, let's read from verse 1. Psalm 100, verse 1. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And we do that on the Sabbath especially, don't we? We come before his presence with singing, hopefully making a joyful noise to him. Verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter into his gates with what? Or come before his presence with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. God wants us to come before him. He invites us to, but he wants us to come with joy and with thanksgiving. He wants us to be grateful when we come before his presence. Romans chapter 1. Go back to the writings of the Apostle Paul here. Romans 1.21. We read again about the end of the age. We read about some of the characteristics of wicked people, godless people. And we see this around us. I'm going to break into the thought here. Romans 1.21. Because although they knew God, or knew of God, they did not glorify Him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and in their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to read, from the, read this again from the New Living Translation. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. How many people in the world know that there is a God deep down inside? But just will not worship him. They will not give him thanks. They're not allowing themselves to be thankful. You erase God. You don't allow for prayer. Much of prayer is giving thanks. That's what it's called in the vernacular. You take it away and you you move God out of the center of society further and further. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Again, Paul's encouragement here to the church. Verse 15. Colossians 3, verse 15. He says, Paul tells the church and he tells us, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. God's peace that surpassed. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body, being thankful 
Interesting. We see peace and thankfulness brought together here again in Scripture. As we are thankful, we experience more peace. And we'll continue to see that. Psalm 92. Let's go back to Psalms. We're laying here the foundation, trying to get a better perspective on what God thinks about being thankful. And this is definitely not an exhaustive study on being thankful. I encourage you to do a study on that if you haven't done one before. It's a very interesting study. It'll take you a while because God has a lot to say about it. Psalm 92, verse 1. Psalm for the Sabbath day, Psalm 92, 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every evening. Do we do that? Do we look forward to that privilege to declare God's loving kindness in the morning? Getting up, waking up. Coming back to alertness, realizing I'm still here. God's granted me another day. This time of year in this area of the country, we are awoken by birds, even before the sun comes up. Singing. As springtime moves in, they begin yelling in the morning. Hopefully you've noticed that. Creation sings praises to God. As an example for us, if we're willing to listen, right? God tells us that we can learn lessons just from going to ants. The little ant in Proverbs 6. Certainly we can learn it from the birds who have a much more uh, poignant presence. Let's go back to Psalm 107 for another example here. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. What does that mean? God is good. Think about that. For his mercy endures forever. Verse 8, Psalm 107, verse 8. Here's God lamenting through this psalm, if you will. Psalm 107, verse 8, we sing this song, this hymn during services sometimes. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God longs to be thanked. He wants us to thank Him. He wants humanity to come to Him and be thankful. There are many reasons why God wants to be thanked. He is God. He is the one who created time, as we heard in the sermonette. He is the one who gave His Son for us. As Titus and Timothy both talk about, Before there was time, he's loved us for a long time. He's given a lot for us. God wants to be thanked. He wants us to recognize what he's done for us. And at the same time, there are other reasons why he wants us to be thankful. The second part of the sermon here, what I'd like to do is share with you some of the benefits of gratitude. Why is gratitude so important How can it benefit us when we are thankful? I'm going to read to you some of the science of gratitude. You might find it fascinating. 
As we realize that God gives us commands, or we're reminded, God gives us commands not to hold us down, does he? God gives us commands because he loves us. And he wants to lift us up as we obey him with his commands. It does that, doesn't it? It lifts us up. It blesses us. His Ten Commandments are ten blessings if we keep them. Let me read to you from the Huffington Post, April 1, 2015. It's an article by Dr. Randy Kamen entitled, The Transformative Power of Gratitude. I'm just going to read a paragraph out of it. He says, Another powerful way to build positivity is by practicing a gratitude meditation. We might say, meditating on what we're thankful for. This method helps to train the mind for greater positivity, gratitude, and happiness. Practice this meditation for a few minutes at a time. The more you do this, the more you create new neural pathways and alter existing ones as we train the brain to develop a more grateful outlook. This exercise taps into the brain's ability to be malleable or neuroplastic. Research has shown that our thoughts have the power to shape our brains, literally reshape our brains. The more conscious we are about perceiving an experience as being positive, the more this perception will generalize to other parts of the brain. Rick Hansen explains that negative experiences are like Velcro. They tend to stick in our minds. You may have noticed that. You have a negative thought or attitude, it's hard to get rid of it sometimes. Whereas positive experiences, he continues, are like Teflon and more readily slip away. You might have noticed that as well. Of course, we know there's a prince of the power of the air, a god of this world who helps that happen. He works hard to make sure those negative attitudes stick and those positive perspectives slip away. Let me finish up here. He says, we must actively work to integrate positive experiences into the brain in order for the positive to stick and the beneficial effects to endure. Interesting. Have you ever noticed that some people are just positive all the time, aren't they? There aren't as many as are negative, but some people are just positive. And if I ask you to point a couple out in the room, we probably all point to the same people. It's almost like those people don't have to work at being positive, isn't it? They do work at it. But what this research shows us is the more we're positive, the more our neural pathways for positive thinking develop. And frankly, the easier it becomes. A good example is a dry riverbed. You know, you've, many of you have probably traveled out west especially, uh, or areas where there's drought or famine. You see dry riverbeds. When it rains, what happens? Does the water just go wherever it wants? Or does the water tend to go in the riverbed? It goes where the path has been worn, where there's the least resistance. Our thoughts are like that. Years ago, we lived in Wyoming. And there's an area of the state where the Overland Trail went through the state. Some of you have seen the Overland Trail and different markers in the Overland Trail. It's where the western migration of the United States took place over a period of years. <clears throat> There's an area that we have visited in the past where wagon trains went through an area of sandstone. So you've got metal wagon wheels on sandstone over decades or over years of time. And what happens is the wagon wheels make ruts, not just in the dirt, but in the rock. Some of those ruts 
were a foot or 18 inches deep through rock. Why? Because over time, the wagon trains wear the ruts down and a path begins to form. Our thoughts are the same, and that's what the research is showing. The more positive we are, and it takes effort, the easier it is to stay positive because the connections to think that way begin to be embedded in our brains. The truth is the same, though, on the opposite side. The more negative we are, and you know negative people too, don't you? Some people it seems like they don't even have to work to be negative. It's just the way they are. But there's truth to that. You get to the point, if you're negative all the time, those neural pathways develop and you really don't need to be working to be negative. It just comes easy. Of course, Satan's fanning into flame in the background. But what this research shows us is exciting. There are benefits of being positive, of being grateful, of being thankful. And we begin to think that way and work to make ourselves think that way. Those neural pathways form and it's easier to continue that way. Let me read from another article. What are some of the some other benefits or blessings of being grateful, of being thankful? This is an article from Forbes magazine, November 23rd, 2014. It's entitled, Seven Scientifically Proven Benefits of Gratitude That Will Motivate You to Give Thanks Year-Round. It's written at Thanksgiving time. <clears throat> I'm going to list these seven and read just a little bit about them. These are not the points in my sermon. They're just points from the article. Uh, you can take notes or not, but listen. It's interesting. And think about these benefits or blessings of gratitude from God's perspective, the one who commands us, in, in a way, to be grateful, to be thankful. Yes, he wants the accolades because he's done it all for us. But as we are thankful, God who designed us built blessings into the act of gratitude, of being thankful. And let's listen to some of these blessings that he built in to being grateful. That blessings that science is just figuring out. God's known it a long time. Science is finally figuring out some of why God did what he did. Number one, what's one scientifically proven benefit of gratitude? Gratitude opens the door for more relationships. Not only does saying thank you constitute good manners, but showing appreciation can help you win new friends, according to a 2014 study published in the journal Emotion. The study found that thanking a new acquaintance makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship. So, whether you thank a stranger for holding the door, or you send a quick thank you note to that coworker who helped you with a project, acknowledging other people's contributions can lead to new opportunities. Who do you like spending time around? Ungrateful people or grateful people? Think about it. People that thank you for holding the door or for picking something up for them or carrying something or writing you a note, doesn't it make you gravitate toward them just a little bit versus someone who ignores what has been done? Part of the blessing of being grateful is we're, we have more people with us. We're less lonely in that way. Number two, what's another scientifically proven benefit of gratitude? Gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people, according to a 2012 study published in Personality and Individual Differences. Not surprisingly, grateful people are also more likely to take care of their health. 
They exercise more often, and they are more likely to attend regular checkups with their doctors, which is more likely to contribute to further longevity. There's actually a lot more research here uh, showing this, but gratitude can improve physical health. People who are thankful tend to be healthier. And there's, there are, there's a lot of uh, biological reasons for that. Number three, gratitude improves psychological health. <clears throat> gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions, ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Robert A. Emmons, Ph.D., a leading gratitude researcher, has conducted multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being. His research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. One in four people today will experience depression during their lifetime. How different will it be in God's kingdom when people are taught who the great God is? And how we need to be thankful. When children are taught from the first they know, they're taught how to be appreciative of those who give to them. Number four, scientifically proven benefit of gratitude. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner, even when others behave in a less kind way, according to a 2012 study of the University of Kentucky. Study participants who ranked higher on the gratitude scales, so they, they showed much more gratitude on a regular basis, were less likely to retaliate against others, even when given negative feedback. They experienced more, sensitiv- more sensitivity and empathy toward other people, and a decreased desire to seek revenge. Gratefulness has a spillover. Being thankful has a spillover to so many areas in our life. A fifth benefit or blessing of gratitude. Grateful people sleep better. Writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep. Gratitude journal, making a list, a detailed list of what we're thankful for. So writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep, according to a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology, Health, and Well-Being. Spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed, and you may sleep better and longer. Number six, gratitude improves self-esteem. 2014 study in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that gratitude increases athletes' self-esteem, which is an essential component of optimal performance. Other studies have shown that gratitude reduces social comparisons rather, and we'll come back to that, rather than becoming resentful toward people who have more money or better jobs, which is a major factor in reducing self-esteem, grateful people are more able to appreciate other people's accomplishments. And then number seven, gratitude increases mental strength. For years, research has shown gratitude not only reduces stress, but it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. A 20, or 2006 study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. A 2003 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks on September uh, 11th, 2011. So interesting, this is 2001. Interesting what the science is showing. 
about the benefits of gratitude. Things, again, that God knew about. He created us that way. But things that God knows will happen if we carry out his command to be grateful and and do it more and more. What I'd like to do in the remainder of the sermon, brethren, is to give you several actions that you can take personally to become even more thankful, to become even more grateful. And as we do this, obviously, we bring praise to our creator, something he desires from us. But we also will experience more of the inherent blessings that he built into that state of being thankful or being grateful. So point number one, action number one that we can take to become even more grateful is to smile when good things happen to us or to others. Smile when things happen, good things happen to us or to others. Now, this may sound simplistic. It may sound sort of silly or trite, but it's not. Let's look at a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to read you some more science. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. We, we see these perspectives shown in the word of God as God illustrates the benefits and the blessings of, of wise actions especially here in Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 22. Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart, someone who's positive, grateful, thankful inside, it's going to do good like medicine. And we can actually show stress physiology and what happens inside the body when when we have a merry heart and when we're positive and how it affects the immune system and it lowers your blood cholesterol levels and lowers your blood pressure and does all these things. But it works that way. A merry heart does good like medicine. Let's see. just lost my place. But a broken spirit dries the bones. You know, it's interesting to me, as an aside, again, with the proofs of the scripture, Proverbs was written some 2,500 or so years ago, yet it's chock full of scientific proofs. We know, for example, physiologically, as I was mentioning, that a positive heart does have an impact, like medicine does. We also know that a broken spirit dries the bones. Someone who's depressed, someone who's down, is going to have a stress response that is literally going to increase their risk of osteoporosis. For those who are really interested in the science, part of what happens when we're stressed, when we're down, when we're depressed, is our body actually will pull calcium out of the bones and put it into the blood. It has to do with the stress response. So that if something would happen, we get cut the clotting mechanisms in the blood work better and work more rapidly. But if you're stressed and you're down and you're depressed over a long period of time and you continue to pull calcium out of the bones, what happens to the bones? They become brittle. It dries the bones. Interesting that God would even put that kind of science in the scripture. He's probably not intending it to be taken that way, but there's scientific backing to what he's saying. Ultimately, though, the merry heart is good. It's positive. That positive outlook, that positive 
perspective. Proverbs um, 15, verse 13. Turn back a page or two. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry heart, again, makes a cheerful countenance. What is your countenance? It's what your face looks like. What's a cheerful countenance? A smile. It's, it's the look on someone's face when they're happy. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. We just read a minute ago how it actually does good to the body like medicine. Let me read to you from another Forbes article, 2011, uh, entitled The Untapped Power of Smiling. Smiling can change our brain through the power of a feedback loop. And your brain keeps track of your smiles, kind of like a scorecard. Interesting. It knows how often you smiled and which overall emotional state you're in, therefore. Smiling reduces stress that your body and mind feel, almost similar to getting good sleep, according to recent studies. And smiling helps generate more positive emotions within you. It doesn't say smiling is generated by positive emotions in you, which we all understand already. Smiling helps generate positive emotions in you. Just the act of smiling has a feedback loop that makes us feel more positive. That's why we often feel happier around children. They smile more. Have you ever noticed that? After you get out of services today, here's your homework. Look at some of the children that you see, especially after they get some food in their stomachs. Look at the smiles. On average, children smile 400 times a day. Any idea how many times adults smile? Think it's more or less? Less. A lot less. On average, children smile 400 times a day while happy people, not sad people, happy people still smile 40 to 50 times a day, 10 times less. And the average of us smiles only about 20 times a day. Kids are smiling about 20 times more than the average human being. How much do we smile? Do we need to smile more? What kind of a message does smiling send to other people? And here's the real kicker question. What kind of a message does smiling send to God, our Father in heaven, and Jesus Christ, the ones who made us, the ones who made us with the capacity to smile and the capacity to impact our emotions when we smile? So, How do we become more grateful? Point number one, smile more. Number two, point number two, what's another action we can take? Do not self-compare. How do we become more grateful, more thankful? Do not self-compare. I think you're aware of these scriptures. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. 2 Corinthians 10, 
And as you turn there, I want you to think about something. Negative self-comparison, brethren, destroys gratitude. When we get involved in negative self-comparison, gratitude cannot exist. It pushes it away. It pushes it to the side. It forces us to become less thankful. 2 Corinthians 12, excuse me, 10, verse 12 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. It is not a good idea. I think we all know that and understand that. It's not a good idea to compare ourselves to others in a negative way. It's one thing to look up to someone and want to emulate some of their good qualities. It's another thing to look at them and say, boy, I wish I had their nose or another part of their anatomy or their metabolism or their bank account or whatever it happens to be or their life. God says here, it's unwise to do that. Put in the, in the words of the Proverbs, you might say it's foolish to compare yourself to someone else. In fact, let's go to Proverbs 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And read a little bit more about self-comparison. Think about it. When we compare ourselves to others in a negative way, what negative attributes arise out of that? What are some of the negative consequences? What commands of God might we be breaking? When we do that, or what commands of God might it lead to breaking? Proverbs 14, verse 30, 3 0. A sound heart is life to the body. We've talked about that before, but envy, that's it, isn't it? Envy or covetousness is what comparing ourselves to others leads to, isn't it? Blatant breaking of the tenth commandment. Coveting, lusting after something that is not ours. In fact, it sort of leads to making a God out of something or can lead to making a God out of something that's not ours. Envy is rottenness to the bones. We can go back to the science again. And it's right again. The more we envy, the more depressed we become. The more uncomfortable we become. The more our stress response kicks in. The more calcium is leached out of the bones. And literally, the bones become rotten when we envy. Let me read to you um, from another article. And as we think about self-comparison, I would give the caution that we, boy, the media has been giving us this caution over the last several months pretty heavily. Be careful with social media. I think many who use social media understand how it works, understand how it really can be used as a negative tool for self-comparison. A lot of self-comparison can happen and happens using social media. Here's a 20, August 8, 2015 article from Psychology Today entitled, Here are, or excuse me, entitled, Three Reasons to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others. And this is based on science as well. One reason to stop comparing yourself to others. Others' so-called perfection is an illusion. The glorious vacations, the enviable professional accomplishments, the perfect children and spouses we see on our friends' Facebook pages are just one sliver of their real lives. It's the truth. 
but not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. A friend may proudly announce the publication of their new novel, but conceal the 12 rejections their manuscript received before being published. We may envy the smiling, suntanned family we see on a tropical vacation, although we're not privy to the fact that the family we see went through three hours of squabbling and snipping before the photograph. If we knew others' whole truths, we might not feel so inadequate when comparing ourselves to their carefully crafted public images of perfection. Now, in all truth, not everybody publishes just uh, the positive. Some people on social media publish lots of negative as well. But a lot of people do that. They, they publish just the positive, not in a, in a means to hurt anyone or to even send a false image, but just to show the positive things in their lives. We have to remind ourselves that that's not all that's going on there. What's another reason that um, to stop comparing ourselves to others with social media? Life isn't fair. Some people are born with more advantages than others. A perfectly symmetrical face, rapid-fire metabolism, wealthy parents, social connections that help them score a coveted job. Yet, when we compare ourselves unfavorably to others, we often beat ourselves up for not trying hard enough. It's much more likely that the differences we see reflect an uneven playing field, a reality that Americans just don't like to accept. Hard work just isn't enough sometimes. And you know, when we look, even in the Bible, God brings us up. You think about the parable of the talents. And we see that God gives to some one talent. He gives to others two talents. He gives to others five talents, and his expectations are a similar return on investment. He doesn't expect ten talents to, be, to come out of the one who only had one talent. He expects just two. So God has realistic expectations for us, but we have to remember that life is just not fair. In fact, that became, has become, became a bad word in our home when the kids were young. Maybe you've never heard this comment before, but, oh, that's not fair. It's been a bad word in our house for a long time. Why? Because life is not fair. It isn't. And my kids will tell you why if you ask them. Brethren, where would you be today if life was fair? I'll give you a hint. How many people have sinned? All have sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. So if we all sinned, what are the wages of sin? Death. So if life was fair, and God was fair on everything, he told us ahead of time, where would we be today, given the fact we've sinned? We'd all be pushing up daisies together. I'm glad life is not fair, aren't you? Because we wouldn't be here if life was fair. Interesting to ponder. Another, a third uh, reason here. Comparison turns friends and allies into rivals. Turns friends and allies into rivals. In a perfect world, we would celebrate and genuinely enjoy the joys and accomplishments of others. Yet, if we use others as a benchmark to evaluate ourselves, that creeping twinge of jealousy 
may undermine our ability to truly cherish the good things that come to others. Just remember, over time things may even out and a friend's success may enable him or her to support and make opportunities for others, including you. But it's interesting, isn't it? We self-compare too much. We can develop that jealousy and not even be able to be thankful for the others who are being blessed. Instead, we develop animosity. So, point number two, action number two, to become more grateful is do not self-compare. What's another thing we can do? What's another action, brethren, you think we can take to become even more grateful? Point number three, or action number three, is to regularly meditate on what you are grateful for. Regularly meditate about what you're grateful for. And we can pray about that as well. Sometimes we don't, we're in such a big trial, in such a low place, that we can't even see anything to be thankful for. And that's when prayer can be especially helpful. God, help me see what to be thankful for. As Satan tries to cloud our ability to see what to be grateful for. Let's go to Philippians 4 once again. We were there a few minutes ago. I love the book of Philippians. It is just encouraging through and through. But Paul makes an observation here. And we read verses 6 and 7 a little bit ago. You recall, rejoice, or excuse me, let be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what's the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That godly peace sets in. Continuing with the thought in verse 8, Paul makes the observation, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, Ponder on these things. God wants us to dig down, to spend time meditating on these positive things. Things that are good and lovely and encouraging. These are things that we can be and should be thankful for. Let's go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And I'm not going to take the time to go through many psalms where David is meditating. Actually, arguably all of David's psalms are meditations and or prayers that wound up as songs. Much of them, David is meditating. He's just thinking. He's pondering. He's considering. Psalm 145. Psalm of David here, verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. Psalm 145, verse 1. He says, I will extol you or praise you. We actually sing this hymn as well. I will extol you, I will praise you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I doubt David was just blessing God's name and saying, bless your name, bless your name, bless your name. No, David was using language and telling God how he was doing this. 
Verse 2, every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Why? And that's where the meditation comes in. Why is God great? Why is his name great? Why is he greatly to be praised? Why? His greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond understanding. One generation shall praise your works to another. We we pass on to our children and our grandchildren. Parents, we need to be teaching our children how to praise God. Grandparents, you need to be teaching your grandchildren how to praise God. Verse 5, I will meditate on what? On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Meditating on God's wondrous works. Brethren, what are you thankful for in God's wondrous works? We heard about God creating time and holy days as a tool to help measure time. What an incredible thing that we have been given and given to understand. Some of us can't remember a time when we didn't know that. What a blessing that is. Some of us can remember a time when we didn't know that and we came to understand that. What a blessing that is. What about God's wondrous nature are you thankful for? Knowing how it all happened? How it came into being as Mr. Dumas was talking about in his sermonette? Knowing that it all happened and is happening for a purpose. It's not just random chance that a whole bunch of molecules came together and poof, here we are. And we'll die. And we'll go back to the universe. And then the universe will burn out and nothing will be left. No, that's not the plan. There's so much more to that. What a blessing to know, brethren. We think about God's greatness and God's plan. In his mercy and his glory. What a greatness to know he has a plan outlined by that, those holy days. To know he's working with calling a few people now, feast of Pentecost. But that there's a time in the future when all of humanity who've died are going to have a chance to come up and to learn God's truth and live his way the last great day. To know that when we go to a funeral, it's not over. That God has put a pause on the life of an individual and he will once again hit play. And that life will resume. And that person, if they're not called, will have the opportunity, brethren, that you and I have today to know, to learn, to live God's way of life, to live these Characteristics like gratitude. And be able to benefit from the blessings of doing that. To know that if that person died and was called, when God hits play again, they cast off earthly body. And they become a spirit being, a member of the family of God, no longer shackled by the flesh with the potential to live, or not potential, with the reality, they will live forever, 
working alongside Jesus Christ as a joint heir with him. Brethren, this is simple knowledge and understanding that many of us have had for decades. How much do we value it? How grateful are we for this? Can you imagine not knowing what you know now? Some of you going back to not knowing this? What would it be like to live, what was it like to live life without the knowledge and understanding that you've been given? Spending time focusing on, meditating on, what we're grateful for is key. We have to take time to think about it. Brethren, I encourage you, saturate your mind with ways with the ways and blessings of God. Saturate your mind with the ways and blessings of God, or Satan will fill it with the opposite. If we don't saturate our mind with the ways of God, with the blessings of God, and focus on that, Satan will fill it with the opposite. And that's part of the unleavened bread lesson, isn't it? In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we're, we're given two commands, aren't we, with having to do with bread. One is, get the leaven out. But God doesn't say just get the leaven out. Leaven is a picture of sin. Because if we just put the leaven out, if we just put sin out and we do nothing else, what happens? You've heard the phrase, sin loves a vacuum. You put it out and there's nothing in place of it, it comes right back in. So what does God say? Don't just put out leaven in its place, eat unleavened bread. Put that righteous behavior in its place. It's the same with gratitude. If we don't fill our minds with what we're thankful for, the Velcro of unthankfulness, to use some of the what we've talked about so far, will suck right back in there and fill its place. So point number three was regularly meditate on what you're grateful for. Make it a practice. Make it a habit. How often do I do that? I have to ask myself as I examine myself. Do I regularly focus on what I'm thankful for? Do I, in my morning and my evening prayers, as we read in the psalm, do I thank God? Do I focus on his great greatness, on his mercy, on what he's given me? Do I show him true gratitude? Point number four, and this is the last point. Action number four that we can take. It's closely aligned with meditating on what we're thankful for. But point number four makes it a little bit more real. Point number four is make a list of what you're grateful for and add to it. Make a list of what you're grateful for and add to it. Mr. Ames has encouraged us to do that many times in the past and talked about how he has a list that he adds to every day. In fact, he gave a sermon on being thankful, I believe, back in November that you may want to look up on the web. But make a list of what you're grateful for and add to it. We read about the science of a gratitude journal earlier on in the sermon. Let's go to Psalm 9 and look at a bit of David's gratitude journal if you will, (laughs) called the Book of Psalms. Psalm 9. And we'll start reading in verse 1 here. Let's look at what David talked about. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. 
I will tell of all your marvelous works. You know, as we pray to God and we thank him, just as an aside, one of the things we want to avoid doing is thanking God for everything and using that term. God, thank you for everything. Now, it's not a sin to say that. We should be thankful for everything. But if we're not careful, that little phrase, thank you, God, for everything, can become cliche or carte blanche. And it wipes across and and, and almost erases the details of how God has blessed us. We'll talk more about that in a second. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. God's name is used a lot by David. And praising God's name is used a lot. Why is that? If you haven't done a study on the names of God, I encourage you to do that. He has many of them. That's why we don't get into sacred names and pick just one that floats our boat and suits our fancy. There are many of them. and All of his different names describe different aspects of who he is and his character. As we study his names, we come to a deeper appreciation for who he is. Verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence, for you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You've rebuked the nations. You've destroyed the wicked. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. David goes into more why God is so important, why he appreciates God, why he's thankful for God. Let's look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We'll start here at the beginning once again of Psalm 63. Another Psalm of David. He says, Oh God, you are my God. What does it mean to you that God is your God? You know he's your God, but what does it mean, brethren? This is where the meditation comes in. He says, early I will seek you. I'm going to get up early and focus on you and look for you and talk to you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. God to David was his sustenance, we see here. David couldn't exist without God, just as we can't exist without water. You know, ten days to two weeks without water, and we're all gone. We can go without food for a long time, but we can't go without water. Because the central nervous system ceases to function. Your brain stops sending a signal to your heart that says, beat, if there's not water in your system. And the body just shuts down. Verse 2. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. Do we see that side of God? Is it real to us? Are we thankful for that side of him where he's, he is loving kindness? We know he's got incredible mercy for us. He's incredibly gentle and patient with us. Some of you will be keeping the Passover for your 40th or 50th time. 
this year. That's amazing. You've held on to the truth for a long time. But it's also sobering, isn't it? We go back and we prepare for Passover for the 40th or 50th time and we're, we're still repenting. But we're still here. God has been merciful. God has been patient. How many times have we come to God asking for forgiveness for the same thing? And we're still here. There's not a spot on the floor where the lightning hit. We're still here. His mercy is incredible. Verse 4, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David is a man of sorrow. Just like the Lord he worshipped became. David was a man of sorrow. Those are David's words that we read in the Psalms. Yes, they're forecasting and pointing toward the Messiah, but those are words that poured out of David's mouth. A man acquainted with griefs and sorrows. David went through a lot of that, didn't he? He suffered. He lost multiple children. He saw all kinds of death, much of it at his own fingertips. David was aware of a lot of difficulties, yet he says, I'm going to praise you with my lips. No matter what has happened, I'm going to focus on you, great God, the one who's made so many things possible. You are a blessing. And I'm going to focus on the gift. James chapter 1, verse 16. Again, as we think about making a list of what we're thankful for, James chapter 1, we need to come back to James. James gives us context in a world that is increasingly thankless. And in a world that really powerfully is able to erase God's hand. By just some little phrases. James chapter 1. We read verse 17 a lot. And we should be familiar with it. Many of us have put it into our memories. James 1.17. You know this, brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift is from above. Except which ones, society will say. The ones that are just chance and and good luck, right? Yet, what does God say in verse 16? Because God knows human nature. He knows how our heart works. He knows the, the twists and the turns that Satan puts on things. To try and pivot God out of the way. To try and pivot God's hand in his intervention and involvement in our lives out of the way. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Why? Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Don't be deceived. Don't let other people tell you that something is coincidence when it's a good gift. 
Not for God's called people. God's hand is in our lives. He's individually chosen each of us. He's working in our lives. Even the smallest of the good gifts are God working in our lives. We've got to recognize this. Or else, if if we begin funneling things off to chance and, and good luck, all of a sudden good gifts from God can't be We can't be thankful for them anymore because it's just luck. How do you be thankful for luck? No, every good gift is from God. Brethren, what are some of the good gifts that you're thankful for? You know, we can start with the big ones. Like our calling, we've talked about that. Like the fact that God, the creator of all, gave his only begotten son so that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. So that if we choose to live his way of life, and we choose to accept that shed blood to wash us and help us repent, we can be forgiven, our sins are washed away, and we're clean, so that we can enter his kingdom. What an incredible calling. We can start with the big things like that, and they should be on our list, but what about the little things? Brethren, what little things are you thankful for? What do you have on your list? What will you add to your list? Smaller, a smaller thing might be, we're here together on God's Sabbath. We're meeting in safety and in peace, relatively speaking. And we're still allowed to do it. Whether it's in person or on the phone, welcome all of you who are on the phone. We wish you were here in person with us. But you're here with us. You're hearing God's message preached. They haven't censored the airwaves yet to the extent where they shut us off. How thankful are we for that? For the technology to be able to do this. How many of you had a hot bath or hot shower in the last day or two? Are we thankful for that? How many people in the world, brethren, don't have hot showers? Or live in areas where if they did, they wouldn't want to take one because it's so hot. Hot showers with clean water, brethren. Water that if it touches your lips is not going to make you sick because it's filled with parasites. What else are you thankful for? What simple things are you thankful for? A soft bed? Relative peace and quiet? How many of us have had our bellies so full that it's uncomfortable in the past? Ever walk away from the table and say, oh, I ate too much? How thankful are we, even though gluttony is not a good thing, how thankful are we that we've had that experience, brethren? We're given so much. How thankful are we to be here together with brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ who we know, who know us, who when we hurt, pray for us, and when they hurt, we pray for them, who when they need help, we reach out and help them, and when we need help, they reach out and they help us. How much do we value that? You know, most people in the world, I didn't run the numbers, or I haven't run them recently, only have a few 
friends. Literally a few, like how many are on your hand? How many fingers are on your hand? Brethren, how many friends do you have? I look around the room and I think, yeah, I'd need a bunch of hands to account for them. And that's just in this room. How many brethren do you know around the world? People that really do care about you. We have so many blessings, brethren. Make a list if you don't already have one. Get in the habit of making it and adding to it. Brethren, God wants us to be continually thankful. You know that. You understand that. So today, in many ways, was a reminder of that principle. There are, as we've talked about, many physical and mental health benefits of being thankful. I encourage you to remain in that state of being grateful, being thankful. It's a powerful tool to becoming more like God. It's part of who He is. It's also a powerful tool to defend against Satan's fiery darts. I encourage you, use or use even more of those points we've talked about. Number one, work on smiling even more. I have to do the same thing. Work on smiling even more. Number two, avoid self-comparison. Number three, regularly meditate on what you're thankful for. And number four, write down and add to what you're thankful for. Brethren, being thankful makes God and his plan more real to us because it forces us into it. It forces us to focus more on him and why we are here. It's a big part of the shield of faith. The more we are thankful, brethren, the more that God will be happy with us. We make him happy when we're thankful. He'll be pleased with us. The more we'll be blessed with the blessings that God built into even our bodies and our minds for being thankful. Brethren, we've got a ton to be thankful for. Examine yourself on that, please, as well, as I will, as we approach the Passover. And let's all become even more thankful to the great God of all who deserves only our praise and our thanks. Thank <laughs> you.